This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Strength and Anger, episode 22 interview with the legendary Putt Houston. We're excited about this interview, guys, because we've talked about Putt a lot on the podcast. Putt has, I would say, a lot of... You're excited. I'm excited, motherfucker. Dude, this is going to be awesome, man. Like, we, There's so much mystique about the shit that Putt Houston does or says or... like what. I am so stoked for this episode. I'm going to forget Eric's even fucking here, so Putt... <laughs> Welcome uh, to me the and episode, Eric go man. back like Cadillac seats, bro. He was oh, a I love it. He was a teenager when I when we were doing meets together back in the nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. That's sick, man. Wait. Eric could show up literally, tall white socks with the stripes still on them, the tie dye shirt, bleach ass blonde hair, looking like Eminem, the the round glasses. Oh, it's fantastic. Sounds Don't judge a book. That dude to come out, out total me even. I was like, oh my god, this teenage kid's no joke. <laughs> Guy's a good venture. He's he's an asshole. He runs a good meet too. Right. <laughs> well, Putt man, we're we're stoked to have you on. But first things first, like introduce yourself. Tell us who's Putt Houston, where you from, uh, family, all that fun stuff, and then we'll get into everything, man. Yeah. Well, so my name is Putt Houston. Don't get it wrong. That's my fucking real name, bro. People ask me all the time, like, but, but what's your real name? It's fucking well, putt. I, I got news for you. It's on the fucking bursar <laughs> So sorry about you. <laughs> I liked it so much. All right, I got one. My kid's name is Putt Putt too. So shut the front door. <laughs> no, oh, no, he's a chip too, bro. I mean, a chip right off the old block. That's fantastic. I've been. I'm from St. Louis, so I grew up. Uh, I'm 50 years old now. I grew up. I was born in 1970s. I grew up North County, St. Louis. With uh, I got eight other siblings. Oh damn! So I we come from a big family. Everybody was an athlete. My uh, my cousins or sorry, my kids get to enjoy forty five or so cousins. That's how many grandkids there are. Jesus wow. man, he's got a fucking Huge football family. team. Everybody lives like within forty five minutes of each other. So super fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm married with to my wife Lisa. We've been together twenty four years, but we've been. To, uh, like total together 35. So that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah, which is unheard of nowadays because people just wrong, say man. fuck it and give up. But you're not wrong at all. We got five kids. I don't know what the fuck we were thinking. We had five kids in five years. Dude, your pull-out game is worse than mine. Yeah, it was strong. But the uh, <laughs> we're all amazing athletes, so that's the plus side of it. There you go, man. There you go. Yeah, the boys. I got two boys, Geo. And putt-putt, and they both play football, and they played club football when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And then I got three girls, Mia, Haley, and Nala, mm-hmm. and they all played club softball, the traveling softball. The The three older kids are in college. I got two still in high school. The two little girls, Haley and Nala, are still at uh, Fort Zumwalt West out here. Okay. And uh, so they still keep me busy. For sure, for sure. Where, where are the a, other ones going to college I was a at? stay-at-home dad. Uh, Labor Day 1999 to Labor Day 2011. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Just a, just a sugar baby, basically. That's awesome, man. Yeah. <laughs> I started I started competing in, like, 92, so I've been actually competing for 
30 years, bro. Holy wow. shit, man. 30 I mean, years. I mean, I think when I came over to your house, when I picked up that Franz monolith, um, there was literally mm-hmm. like 20 kids in your house from the neighborhood. I mean, there was, there was literally kids everywhere. And you said, I got five, and there's like 15 motherfuckers from the neighborhood <laughs> you know, yeah. hanging around here. Even though my kids are older, the younger kids in the, in the street, they know who the fucking G is. So they'll hang out in a drill of like six or seven kids, let's say the age between five and 11. They'll bang on the door, and I know what they want. They're like, hey. Mr. Putt, can we jump on your furniture? I'm like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> I let them run in, and they're jumping feet all over the couches, the love sacks, everything, bro. I'm taping it all. I got great videos of it all. Putt, Putt, my house is, Putt is just like friendly. the fun uncle that everybody wants. Yeah. It's fucking I awesome. got the house. So my house is like 6,000 square feet. It, the kids is, I mean, it's a mansion, bro. The kids love it. They're running all, all the floors, bro. Oh, that's awesome, dude. So so talk about – you started competing 30 years ago. Uh, talk about some accomplishments in powerlifting. You, you obviously, you know, great family and awesome stuff outside of that, but some of the accomplishments you've done within uh, within the sport of powerlifting. Well, I, I actually grew up uh, in like a – I felt it was like a great, uh, a great era of powerlifting. Like the mm-hmm. 90s is like the renaissance of powerlifting. Like golden honestly. era, man. Um. It's hard to disagree. One of my, I, okay, so my first meet, my very first meet ever, was even by the AAU Federation. That's how long ago that was. Wow. They would do. It was like a show me state game qualifier. They don't do the squat because, I'm. They, it's just like one of those state games that they, they take the hard event out of it. I guess for judging purposes. Apparently. But I just did like a push pull. I started my career at 148 pounds, and I've been through five weight classes now. Wow, wow! Which is a, which is, I mean, you got to be in, you got to be in the game at least 20, 30 years just to climb that fast. Sure. Yeah. Unless you're Daniel Tinheiro, that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> he he rose a little bit faster than I did. He, I mean, Danny's literally built different. He, he's a different yeah. animal. But over the years, I don't put a lot of pressure on it. I did like six national events, six world champion events. I I think I won three of each of those. Anybody could say they win now. So I don't put a ton of emphasis on, oh, I have so many national titles, so many world titles, because right. everybody can win a title. That, that ain't the thing. You always want to start somewhere and progress and just be better than you were before. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I try to teach like the kids that – I coach now, let's do this for a purpose. Let's qualify for nationals, get you a national event, get you yeah. a world event. Don't just keep doing the same local gym meets over and over again. Yeah, get, and, get in those arenas. Get where it's tough. Get where there's fucking killers out there. Yeah, let's do it, dude. That's where all the fun is anyway. Exactly. Yeah. I actually, my very first national event that I went to was probably the greatest national event ever with the APF senior nationals in 1996 the biggest names in powerlifting ever were there and as I was 20 shit 24 at the time maybe I mean Steve Goggins was there Willie Wessels Tony Conyers Jesse Kellum Jesus I went with uh J. Rosh Leone who was my original mentor in powerlifting he was he was battling against Ricky Dale Crane, Angelo Bartonelli. Uh, those guys were just 
fighting the 165ers out within a 10, 15 pound spread separated bronze from gold. Wow. Chuck Vogelpool was there. Mike Mastry, I didn't know him. Uh, Kidder was there, actually. Kieran Kidder. Paul Urchuk, I don't think, I think he's retired. He don't uh, uh, lift anymore. No, he doesn't Rudy, anymore. Rudy Rosales uh, was there. Uh, oh, yeah. Mike Cartanian was 20 years old. He was there. Yeah. Matt Zwang. Actually, I'm going back. I think Paul actually just recently passed away, I think, sometime last year. Oh, did he? I think so, yeah. I think you're yeah, right. I'm sorry to hear that. Because I think uh, – Kenny Patterson was there, J.M. Blakely. Yeah, man. Gary like, Frank. I who's mean, who? Everybody. Jesus. You're talking about being impressed. You're like, holy shit, this is when – you, when you go to a meet like that, you're like, all right, I'm training for nationals coming back. This is the type of people I get to rub elbows with. But, let's, let's go. But that's also the type of event that, like, everyone right now is kind of aspiring to, right? You look at all these big events, whether it's the American Pro, the WPO, you know, whoever, all these – you know, the show of strength or whoever's going to be. That's what they mm-hmm. want. They want every fucking big name out there to come to the same meet. Yeah. So I mean, that's it, that. that, that it was impressionable, cool. and I and I try to force people to like emulate and do the same thing because it will it will change your perspective. Absolutely. And your and your motivation. Even if you got people on the fence going, ah, I don't know if I want to compete, or somebody who competes and hasn't done it in a while, you bring them to a meet, and you'll get bit right back by the bug, bro. I guarantee it. Hundred percent. You do a national meet, you, you go to a world meet, and you hear, like, you smell the different smells, you hear the different voices. Like, it's trippy, man. It's fucking cool. Like, it's it, yeah. it, it takes you out of that bubble of, I don't care where you live, you live in St. Louis, Chicago, fucking Iowa, you know, middle of nowhere, Ohio. Like, that's, that shit changes your view. I love it, honestly. It uh, it, it changed my mind on, on things, so. 100%. I was, I was around some great people. One of my first, so... It, this is a good story. The, my dip into powerlifting started. I had I played soccer too for like Nobody 15 years or whatever, and then I got clipped and snapped my ACL. So I in the back in 87, 88, 89 era when I had clipped it originally, um, you were literally in the hospital for a week and on crutches yeah, I mean, for a long was, time. It was wasn't a like in and out surgery like it is today. Yeah. It was terrible. And recovery was terrible. So, but part of my recovery was, you know, going to the gym for a rehab. So, mm-hmm. there's a, there was a great legendary gym around here in St. Louis called Greg Tuck's Physique World. He was a pro bodybuilder. His general manager Cliff Coons was a pro bodybuilder. These guys were winning like Mister Universe in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, still to this day. Damn. Um, the gym was loaded with power lifters. So I come in, I sign up on the sheet, they walk in the door. The whole fucking gym is quiet like a church. And everybody's staring in the same direction. And I'm signing up and I'm like, mm, I wonder if somebody got hurt. What's you know, this is mm-hmm. everybody's looking in the same direction. So I walk around the corner, see what the what everybody's doing, and there's this fucking giant Samoan, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's six, seven plates on each side, maybe eight. It looks like a hundred to me at the time. This dude, he's got his back to me. He pulls it out of the, the actually squat stands at that time, squat stands, mm-hmm. like jack stands. Dunks it, comes back, racks it, turns around. This dude's six two, three thirty, big Samoan hair, bleeding from his nose. I'm like, 
<laughs> Fuck yeah, let's go. Let's fucking right? go. They don't even they they don't even take any weight off, right? They lower it down real low. I'm like, what's going on? I see this fucking little dude, uh, wrapped, getting his knees wrapped, mm-hmm. and right, and I'm like, okay. This dude stands up. He's like five 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 six. Ends up being Jay Rosh Leone. He's a legendary 165er in mm-hmm. St. Louis, right? And uh, they don't even take the weight off. They just lower it. He gets on and takes it for a dunk, probably even faster. And I'm hooked like a fish in the ocean at this point in time. I'm like, <laughs> let's fucking go, bro. I'm in. And though those two guys, uh, Vi Mafuli, Jay Rosh Leone, they, just watching them their first day, I'm like, all right. I'm getting underneath their wing as soon as possible. Yep. And I did. One of their one of their guys, uh, their buddies was Ron Sierra. So the first conversation I had with their group, Ron Sierra is a Missouri bench legend. He taught everybody in the world in this area how to bench. Mm-hmm. In 1979, he had that drug-free, raw, 500-pound bench when only guys at the time you heard of doing it were like Ted RCD and... Bill Kazmaier mm-hmm. and Ken Patera and and guess what? Ron Sierra, drug free from wow. Missouri. So I went to him, I was like, Yeah, I'm kinda interested. Like, you know, what tell me what it's about. I can bench two oh five for five. He was like, wouldn't you rather bench two forty five for one? I was like, Yeah, actually I would. That sounds wonderful, <laughs> yeah. Let's fucking go. And it's and as I got hooked in like immediately with this group, bro. And it's we still uh about 15 years ago, we got together after a funeral and started a social club called the Brotherhood of Iron. We still meet once a month now, me and all these old dogs, bro, every month. It's great. That's what our old man crew is on Saturday here at 2XL. <laughs> yep. Really? <laughs> Basically. A bunch of, a bunch of guys have been in this game for 30, 40 bro. years, man. So, so Putt, what, what, do you do, what do you do outside of power? What do you do for work? Well, I, I was a stay-at-home dad for many years, mm-hmm. uh, like 2000, 2011. I had a fun time after that. I, I did work at Under Armour, which was like fi- finding the old man who retired and went to the golf course. Somewhere around 2008 or nine, I stopped wearing any other brand but Under Armour. And then about 2013, maybe, I got a job there here locally, mm-hmm. and I loved it. It was a great job. Um, I switched from that to working for AT&T, and now after that, I, uh, my sister owns a, um, property management group. So now I'm into property management. Cool. Okay. Awesome. And we manage a couple hundred homes. So gotcha. all um, single family or multifamily or what was, what's the setup? Yeah. It's mostly, it's, it's mostly like section eight homes. Gotcha. So I, I collect money and do account management things like that. Gotcha. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Outside of powerlifting though, like years ago. When, especially when I was stay-at-home dad, I hosted a uh, a Wednesday night poker league, right? Okay. So I I would buy like the expensive clay chips and the chem plastic cards, and when we first started back in the '90s, it was just all fifty cents, quarter, a dollar, mm-hmm. right? But then ten years later, that progressed to I'm having a game every Wednesday night. I host a poker tournament. The first Wednesday of every month, a thousand dollar buy-in. I, it grew to a high-stakes poker game. 
we had a thousand dollar buy-ins. People were trading house payments on the table. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> right. And I provided all the food and the alcohol and we ate and drank like Kings. It was a, it was a really good time, bro. Oh, all these that things are a, saying, yes, I need to make a trip down to St. Louis. <laughs> That's oh, all I yeah. keep hearing right now. <laughs> that was my life for a while. And then one of our boys in that group ended up having a heart attack at like age 35 and dying. He killed the whole vibe. Jeez. Hmm. And uh, we never really played poker after that, except for a, mo- a memorial game maybe once sure, a year. Sure. But that was my lifestyle in the 2000s. That, and I lived on the internet, searching everything I could think of, all things powerlifting and drugs and hormones. And um, I would write. Uh, I, I'm an avid writer too, right? Like an entertaining writer. So mm-hmm. every time we did a meet. Back in the day, you had those websites with forums. That's how you communicated with people. So I would write post write-up, meet write-ups on these forums, and people would just die laughing. Bro. Mm. The, the writings were great. I've got some of those still saved on my email. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to bust And then eventually the, I got uh, into uh, writing for Powerlifting Watch, um, which is people don't really go there for information anymore. This kind of grew out of it. Mm. but. I had fun times on there writing, and then obviously I'd log in every day and clown on the people who need to be clowned on and, and motivate the people who need to be motivated. And it was a good spot for – it was actually probably the best news source for powerlifting in the mid to late 2000s probably, and then eventually just kind of fizzled out with the explosion of cell phones and people aren't really on their desktop computers anymore. Mm-hmm. And, I remember, like, it was, it was like, you guys remember Powerlift USA magazine, right? Mike Lambert, Herb Glossburner used to write for him. Mm -hmm. I have every Powerlift USA magazine ever made. So we've got the vast majority. We usually do, I'm sure you've listened to a couple episodes. We usually do a a review of a Powerlift USA every, every episode. uh, I see that. So that's always, always interesting. That was the thing, boy. You got your name, you got your picture in a magazine. You made it. You were the person, but. These kids nowadays don't know. You'll never be on a magazine because they don't make them. No, they they, they just care. Well, I mean, a lot of kids they care about followers and they care about you know they do their first meet and you can DM them for coaching. Um, you know that that seems to be the way it's going. But then what, what's cool too is that you you know you have people that have these conversations like we're having right now, and you harken back to that time where it was like you had to earn like you had to earn the right to be a coach. Like people had no problem laughing at your face, going, "You've done two meets, go fuck yourself." Yeah, and, and why are you a judge? Right on top of that, exactly. Like so that, like we we've gotten away from that. I'm not saying like I'm not sitting here wishing for the good old days by any stretch. Like it's certainly there's great talent that has come into the sport because there's there is more accessibility. But yeah, it, it definitely is. To your point, it's very very different now uh, as far as earning quote unquote earning your stripes. Yeah, for sure. Pop, I think I'm Ernie, you know, rest in peace, Ernie France. He had a. Uh, he had a vision and a pretty good heart. He just could never really, like, uh, you know, play the hand out all the way. I was thankful, even in the late 90s, that he uh, that he expanded the APF into the AAPF. And then eventually there was, you know, divisions of the raw, single-ply, and multiply. Mm-hmm. Because somebody, you had to go to a place that was a one-stop shop for everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it was so divided back in the day. Like you, li- you listen to APF or the ADFPA, which eventually became USAPL. And I, I don't know. It just seems like there was a lot of fighting back in the day, and then that, that progressed to 2000s. But it's less of an issue now. 
Mm-hmm. Puck- Do you guys remember, like in the you know 2005 through 12, maybe there were there were probably 30, 40 federations. And I don't, even, I don't even know if they all still exist. Not all of them do. No. But I feel it, like I'm, some I'm grateful we're down to, like, five popular ones. Sure, <laughs> like, sure. Yeah, I'll give you that. There, there are, like, yeah, there's, like, five popular ones here in the U.S. There's still, like, 70 fucking federations out there. But, but some are yeah. small, yeah, single yeah, some are, Yeah, exactly, where they have, you know, screws coming up through the bench and people need to get the shots afterwards. Stone, you've been APF your whole life, right? Yeah. I mean, I've more or less lifted APF and helped with the APF since I started. I mean, I grew up in Aurora. Ernie Franz's gym was in Aurora, so no yeah. doubt. And you work side by side by maybe the greatest table director of all time, Amy Jackson. She's still uh, she's still our uh, APF office manager, so she's still involved. Yeah, she would do the job of three fucking people at the table, bro. She's, a, I mean, the best. Mm-hmm. She's, she's. What about Mara Sternberg? She used to be on the mic and crack people up. She's still around. No, she passed away probably about ten years ago. Unfortunately, she uh, had. Uh, we'll listen that because I was in already. Okay, yeah. I mean, she unfortunately didn't manage her diabetes optimally, so no. mm-hmm. she, she would be drinking two two liters of Mountain Dew and saying her doctor told her that's okay. And I was like, ah, <laughs> I don't, I don't think so, come Maris. on, Maris. <laughs> we we know that's not true. Yeah, you you grew up in like a great area for powerlifting, um, like I'm, literally like the headquarters of the APF, Eric. So I know your background is strong too, and and very like easily motivated to get into the gym and be successful in powerlifting because you just grew up in such a great area. Sure, I mean, yeah, powerlifting was it is still big in Chicago, and it oh, definitely yeah. was always big in Aurora. Uh, I I am surprised, Putt, you've never – now, maybe I just missed it, but I don't think I've ever seen you on social media. I'm surprised that the Putt of Powerlifting Watch I've never seen on Instagram or Facebook. So the Putt, I have a YouTube channel before YouTube was a thing. Okay. And that's where I would blog. Sure. And, and, and like, bring all my shit up to – post all my videos to. Uh-huh. And then the iPhone came out around 07 – and social media like facebook and all that and i was like i can't do it i can't do it i'll have a thousand friend requests a day i can't keep up with all these people <laughs> so i literally was like there's no way i'll be able to keep up with them because i'm a i'm a people person you're going to hit me up i want to respond yeah um and so i turned away from facebook and then something else came up and then there was twitter and then there's instagram and then there's whatever i have zero i'm the most popular non-social media motherfucker you ever met in your life that, no social media bro zero that can't do it. that was the weird thing is like eric has, has told me stories of like the interactions you guys had at meets and like obviously we're gonna get into some of the the funnier ones and some of the crazier ones here in a bit but like i asked him like this is a person that social media would put on a fucking pedestal where the fuck is he and eric's yeah. like i don't know <laughs> i don't know what the fuck the, he is. the young kids i train today is like putt you you know how good you social. That's what I'm saying. Your following would be two million people, and you'd have all this money from all your followers and all your. Because because you, you know what I want to see now in, in the you know 20 minutes we've been talking, Putt. I want to see yeah. an Instagram live with Putt Houston and fucking Garrett Fear. Right. <laughs> that like you probably have no idea who this idiot is, but like seriously, I, I would love. For I know who he is. Going, oh, perfect! I would love yeah. for the two of you to go at it on live. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. Um, but uh, other than powerlifting, do you have any? You know, you said your sports background. You were in soccer. Um, was that it? What other kind of background do you have? Well, 
Yeah, in St. Louis in the seventies, I grew up in a in a Catholic neighborhood. So, uh, like everybody else in my neighborhood, on my street alone, we had nine kids. The people down the street, they had ten kids. The people eight houses up, they had another eight kids. So all my friends and their families, everybody had six to twelve kids, bro. And and we went and you did the Catholic school thing. So in CYC, you played <clears throat> soccer, then you played basketball, then you played baseball. Then I went to a, a public high school, and I concentrated mostly just on soccer and wrestling. Mm-hmm. But my weightlifting didn't really get started until, you know, after I graduated, and I was kind of forced to. And then I and then I fell in love with it after that. But can't, can, I was, I was always relate. a strong kid, like a strong, especially like a strong bench presser. I was I could double, you know, double my body weight back in the day. Like on a regular, I couldn't even do that now. But just raw. That's awesome. So yeah. so you, so you get out of high school. You've obviously got a sports background. You're you're staying in shape. What actually got you into powerlifting and competing? You obviously saw some incredible lifters when you first kind of started poking around. What got you to your first meet, and and what was that first experience like? Yeah. So once I joined that gym, and there was like four or five different, you know, world, eventual world and national champions there. Jay Rosh Leone was like super popular at the mm-hmm. time. And, um, and it was just very motivational to work with him. And, and the Samoan that I talked to you about before, Vima Fooley, mm-hmm. he, uh, he probably did something th- that I used to claim will never be done again in powerlifting, but I believe it could be done again now just so I won't try it. He was a USAPI. Actually, about he was an ADFPA guy, mm-hmm. and he was the dude who could squat 850 and bench high 400s and pull 800. And but everybody else in the gym was like an APF guy, right? Mm-hmm. But he he wanted to compete with the team with the group. So in '96, when we did those nationals and qualified for '97 Worlds, he did a meet. And he went to 90 uh, – he was at the Nationals in 97, Curtis Leslie in in Atlanta, Georgia. So here you got a super heavyweight, drug-free lifter mm-hmm. competing in APF Senior Nationals. He loses to Jim Veronin. And – I'm trying to think who the other super heavyweight is at the time. Can't remember. Gary Frank, Not he wasn't like a, a mainstream popular magazine guy. Okay. Anyway, he gets the chance to go to WPC Worlds in Blackpool, England. And uh Verona's not gonna make it, and Vima Fooley wins it all. So you got a drug free super heavyweight who wins WPC Worlds. That's fucking cool. <laughs> That's sick. Who the fuck does that? That I don't it can be done today. I don't know if anybody will ever try it though. I mean, I competed drug tested for a long fucking time, and I was beating most of the, t- the untested guys. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It could be done, but, uh, but also wasn't super at that time so. in the 90s, I was like, nobody will ever do this again. And uh, now I changed my thought that it could, it can be done, and there are guys who would easily crush some people uh, in that. And it was a multiply, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't think people will try it, though. I don't think people will try it. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of whatever reason, but... multiply guys out there. There's just there's not not a whole lot of us. 
There's not, bro. No, no. So, so what, what was that first meet experience like for you? I mean, obviously, you, you've, you've seen a lot of stuff. With you. you walked into that building, and, and, and you have your first meet. What, what was that like? What, you know, good, bad, and different? Yeah, so the first meet, um, this meet was at, like, a gymnasium. It was a qualifier for the Show Me Games. Mm-hmm. It was a bench deadlift, so... It was it was fun to compete and be a part of the technical aspect of it, and I did love it. But if we go to if we fast forward to maybe my first meet where it was like a full meet, squat, bench, deadlift, mm-hmm. I was tagging along with Jay Rochleone. We probably did a meet in up there in uh, Elmhurst, maybe Terry Dangerfield used to throw meets up mm-hmm. there. Yep, and um, the old Brit. Yeah, right. Uh, we used to have, and I loved it, man. I, I just loved the competing part of it. Um, at that time, I was a, a, a light 148er, so I didn't have, I didn't enjoy like the whole you got to cut weight and and make weight and et cetera. But um, I love the nervousness of it. I love the anxiety of it. I love the stress. I love the motivation of the team behind you i love the uh the thrill of just like getting it all done and then the exhaustion when it's over i I was hooked forever man i I gotta i gotta say i lived for competitions back in the day and i still i still do it to this day what what are your best lifts in competition putt if you could rattle them off my my best lifts eventually occurred when I moved into the 198 class. So I started at 148, and then in 96 or so, I moved to 65. And then in 2003, I moved to 181. And then in 2007, I moved to 198. And I had a 711 squat, 500, 501 bench, and a 600 deadlift maybe and that was all equipped correct what's that that was all equipped correct all equipped yeah yeah i so when i grew up you didn't have him you know a a, a squat suit or whatever to me that people like what are you doing you're crazy Mm -hmm. there was a it's like showing up to a knife to a gun show man it's not wrong and i could never i don't think i could ever go back to being raw i never lifted raw it wasn't in my era um, I grew up and competed in the nineties. And so the gear just kept getting better and better and thicker and more to the point of ridiculousness in the early two thousands. And then the WPO started and then the lifts started getting super crazy. Mm-hmm. And at that time I thought for sure that the multiply division was going to be like you know, the wave of the future, right? Because you progress from raw to single ply to multiply. But then somewhere along the lines, it it flipped. Like, and not only flipped, I mean, put multiply on its head. Mm -hmm. So 10 years after that, let's fast forward to 2012, 13, 14. You do a state meet, there'll be one guy in single ply and 119 other of them, just all raw or classic raw. Yep. And, I, right. and I'm mad at it. I think it's a. I think it's better for the sport, to be honest with you. 
um, let multiply have its thing. And uh, well, you, you talk to a lot of raw lifters, and they don't want that. They they think that oh, multiply should just die. Yeah, it was crazy because we used to get in. Well, I didn't partake in the fighting at all because I'm not like a an internet keyboard warrior. But there were lots of battles. Let's say 06 through 2013 on powerlifting watch of raw versus equipped and it was it was sickening to listen to because people would just argue over the dumbest fucking shit dude dumbest they shit yeah, they, they, still they, they still do but it's just on instagram now exactly instagram uh, okay. twitch all that other bullshit <laughs> discord so i don't get to hear it or listen to it but uh exactly. you're not missing and, anything. and i'm glad that i don't because it's just it's just all nonsense to be honest with you yeah it's it's ignorance. It's uh it's it's a lack of understanding what what the difference truly is. It's not the the gear and all the work because we all know it. You can't just throw a bench shirt onto the bench itself and put a bottle of test on it. It's not going to lift five hundred pounds. It's it's ignorance is the best term for it. Yep, exactly. Um, it's a totally if you're a raw lifter and you go to a full briefs with Leviathan suit over it and the tightest wraps you can get, et cetera. It's like a whole nother sport. You have to learn totally different everything. Oh, yeah. And you, you hear them as they try to get into this stuff. Like, as I, I, I've seen it, I've walked through and I've done this recently, having gone switched from raw to equipped. You know, the lightest breeze you've ever been in feel like you're in a sausage casing, like you have no idea. Like, just you wait. <laughs> like, when it takes you 40 minutes to get into your breeze, now you'll talk. I respect I respect all the genres, though. I'm not one of those people who be like, ah, oh, raw people. Yeah, I mean, I'll have fun with it. It's just practice. It just ain't, it just ain't for me. You know yeah. what I mean? And I ain't mad at it. I just it ain't for me. Yeah. So. But because you don't have, respect their opinion, you're a terrible person. That's what they tell you. What about you guys? You guys have been across the board with raw, single ply, multiply? I mean, I've almost always competed equipped because, like you, I started in 2000. That's all there was. When it was real big in the mid-2010s, I dabbled and did a couple raw push-pull meets. But, mm-hmm. I mean, other than that, uh, I've pretty much always stuck with equipped. How was your training for that? I'd be afraid to train. I'd just like, oh, here goes a pack. I'm about to <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's why I never squatted raw, um, at least competing. I only did bench deadlift raw. I just, my hips couldn't handle it. Um, I couldn't I, handle it. There's no way. Not after you abuse them, like. I'm 50, which looks 40 on the outside, but probably 75 on the inside. Let's be real. These I wake up every day. Up, up every day, knees are destroyed, hips are destroyed, shoulders, the elbows are pain, the neck is always stiff, can't hardly look left or right. But I did it to myself, and I live for it. So it's just a it's just gonna pull us to a chalky grave. That's all. It's just you accept it, bro. <laughs> it's something I accept it. Well, yeah, I, I made the jump from from raw to equipped. What, got two years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was I was raw, raw. I was naked knee, drug tested, the whole fucking nine. Uh, you know, up until 2019, and then I I decided to go multi, just go full on. I didn't even do single plies. I fucking go full multi ply. And mm-hmm. and it, I would say like the the positive for me is that, and we did a whole episode on on this transition. Is I was with an equipped group, and I like I was the low man on the totem pole because I was the raw guy trying to keep up, and with the equipped numbers. And like, sure, like okay, you know, in training, you know, seven hundred plus squat, you know, blah blah blah. But like, we got girls that are squatting eight hundred pounds, like kind of fucked. Like, you got <laughs> to figure it out, man. Speaking of girls, that's a that's another venue. Like, I really uh, have appreciated um, over the years because 
you we would show up to meets 25 years ago and there'd be one or two like mariah leggett she was mm-hmm. unbelievable stephanie vandaway yep. of course becca swanson was the beast uh in the 2000s but you're talking about one scattered here there everywhere dude they're um, they're the future of powerlifting is bright and it is female I will tell you that right now. Like, I don't care if it's raw, equipped, whatever. It is fucking female. It is female. And you're talking just like in the last five to seven years, it really exploded. I had a a, a girl I trained, Angel Compton. She was uh, 2014 through, I don't know, 17, 18, something like that. Mm-hmm. At 181 with a fourth, uh, all raw, 460 squat and dead, 260 bench. And at that time, you're talking about like top three in the – in the nation under her numbers, you know, like top 10. Mm-hmm. And those numbers wouldn't even suffice nowadays, bro. Those like, it's unbelievable. How Man, I'm not going to jinx her, but we, we've got a woman, not, not two XL, but there's, there's a woman who's going for a thousand pound squat in, uh, in November. You have a, you can, it's like a, a whole, a whole women's league now of their own. And they're all like, Avengers, dude, it's unbelievable. Well, I mean, you, how, you look at the women's, and I love it. I personally love it because I, I don't know if you follow Laura Phelps coming. at all. Like you know, in her very, because she, she's all, all over everything. You know, on YouTube, on mainstream media, all that kind of shit. She does her women's mm-hmm. program every year. I mean, there were what was it four women squat over seven hundred pounds this year? Yeah, there's dude, a lot of that. and three, two, two or three to over eight hundred. I mean, who's unbelievable? It's, crazy. it's nuts. And no big deal. Leah Reichman opens up with fucking nine thirty. It's no problem. Opens, opens, right? Opens. How many? How many dudes do you know that would kill this to have that as their top ever? And she opens with that shit because she's Leah. All of them. Reichman. I mean, let's be real. Yeah. Like, seriously, that's unbelievable. It is. It is. I I appreciate it a lot. I know that. It's it's a it's a great thing to witness. That's for sure. Well, Pat, you've been doing this for uh, we thought twenty, but I guess thirty, 30 years. Thirty fucking years. Man. Thirty. Yeah. I'm what? fifty. I started in ninety two. What uh, what's kept you going all these years later? I mean, you've still done some meets in recent years. I mean, like probably me, you probably don't compete two, three times a year anymore. Maybe once no. a year, maybe once every other year. But what has kept you coming back? I always get these fucking kids that are just like, <laughs> I need you to I mean, come on, teach me something. I need you to coach me. Or they show up at the gym and I, and I get an interest in them. Um, so I was avid competing maybe a couple of times a year especially through the 2000s. Yep. I took I took a around 2013 I started tailing off cuz I was I was uh managing the platform and more meets than I was competing. I took 3 years off and I was like I get ready to turn 40 and I was like, "Man, I'm coming back." I took 3 years off. I felt like it was too long. And I took 9 months to train for it. Three months out, I tear like a minor pec tear. Mm-hmm. And then two months out, I tore something in a lat off of my back. Oh, That's what it was. Oof. And then a month out, I tore some obliques. And every time I tore something, I'm like, I'm coming back stronger. I don't even care. Roll me up on a wheelchair. I'm already committed. Right? Yep. Like, I'm doing this. And I came back, very first meet that where <laughs> – this is how shitty I felt. I opened up with a squat. I felt like I tore everything in my body on that opening attempt. 
I go to the head table. They're like, what you want in your second? I go, um, can I just pass? <laughs> I hurt so bad. I passed. And then all my boys were at the meet because I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. And then uh, <laughs> they go, dude, do you all right? Did something happen? I was like, no, dude, I'm just so old now. Fuck, I'm out of shape. I, I'm not like ready for this. Mm. Everything hurts. So I passed on my second, took a third, did the same thing in the bench, hurt. My first opener felt like I tore everything. And my training had been going, you know, fairly decent, even though with those injuries. But it, it, you just got to make the adjustments the older you get. And um, I, eventually I'm in the gym and there's always like some young kid who, who I see at a meet or I, he comes in the gym. I'm like, you need a coach, bro. I was I was going to be out for a while, and then I ran into Micah Marino mm. from Las Vegas, fighter mm-hmm. quick guy, right? Yep. He's at a meet with this other kid, Mike Junta, and these two kids are studs, bro. But they're young, and they're they're so young, they're like they don't know what they're doing, and they don't have a coach. And so I committed to them, and then Micah turns out to be like my franchise player, and I'm like. Dr. Jekyll making Frankenstein all over again with this kid. Love it. And uh, we had a, we still have a great relationship, but we had a great relationship while he was competing under me. Um, but it's, but it's motivating, right? So you, you surround yourself with these kids, teenagers, doesn't matter, 20 years old, and they just keep reeling you back in and reeling you back in. And uh, for me, it's been probably the, the motivating factor just to keep going because if I if I would have followed the normal pathway of like, you know, people I lived with before you get into your forties, everything hurts. You just start dialing it down. Yep. And so I don't know. I still compete though. I got another, I got a tournament coming up. Uh, I'm doing IPL multiply worlds in Salt Lake city, November 12th under Chris McGrail. Okay. You know, what we, should do, we should do get Federation. you on the invite roster. To the Eric Stone Masters of the Universe meet in February. Who, who is you are? We should get you on there. Is what I'm saying. Oh right, right. Stone is Stone is it's turning forty years right, old, right? With a monolith. Yep. Stone that's is turning must, forty that's fucking a must years have old in at, February. At fifty plus for me. But I'm saying we're, Stone is turning forties. This is a Masters only meet. You have to be forty and above to compete at this fucking meet. Oh, yeah. I did one of those in the USPA before. I love those meets. Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be just lifting, drinking, and having fucking fun. When is that? That's February. February twelfth. We'll we'll see if we you know he, the the curator of the roster is pretty stingy, but I think we can we can work some magic with her. <laughs> Put my name on the list, bro. All right, we'll we'll make it happen, man. It'll be awesome. Eric, can you make that happen? I mean, I sleep next to the meat director, so <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Tell Jackie she misses her putt, bro. He's got to come back. You know, I'll wear, it's... A, I'll wear a special outfit. Wow. Perfect. Uh, I think there was an email where I think I asked you about some bench safeties on the old Texas strength system (laughs) benches. And I said, hey, could you send me a picture of that? And you're like, oh, no problem, bro. Hey, I heard Jackie's vagina popped out a baby. Don't have too many of them, motherfuckers. I got five or six of them. (laughs) I don't know who would have said that, but. Well, as as Bane says, I'm a digital digital hoarder, so yes, I, yes. I've got them all saved. He's, he's got all of it. So you you saved it all. He he saves fucking everything, man. Absolutely yeah. fucking everything. All all organized, categorized. Like it's not all just strewn about on a fucking hard drive. It's, there's folders. There's fucking years. <laughs> everything. It's fucking great. That's history right there. Don't it, ever lose that. It's not wrong. 
it's absolutely not wrong. So, you know, we, we had a whole bunch of questions for tonight, and, and the, the conversation has been, been awesome. I want to hit on a couple of things that a little more philosophical get, get you know, you to wax for us here. But what's it going to take to make powerlifting, quote unquote, mainstream? Like enough for people to like make a living, and, and or do we even want that? That's a good question. Um, years ago, I would say no, we don't even fucking want it. Like mm-hmm. I don't even care. And and it was part of the reason is because there was such a displacement between multiply lifting mm-hmm. and and raw lifting. But now I think multiply has been put in its place, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's there, and people can dabble in it, but it's it's not the mainstream that people accept. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere along the line, raw literally just came out of the woodwork, and they had the they got the numbers big enough that I think uh, it's more of an acceptable presentation. Um, the only way it becomes mainstream now, though, is somebody is going to have to network. I th- I thought Mark Bell was the man to do it through Reebok, you know, but mm-hmm. it just, it didn't go. Yeah. Um, but, but a, a relationship like that where Mark Bell had a really good relationship with Reebok and somebody with insane amount of money to back, back the meetup, it, it would, it would definitely help. Um, and if you think about it, um, back in the eighties, you can go see YouTube videos a wide world of sports, Brian Gumble, he's wearing a you know, the gold jacket with yeah. the ABC logo on it and they're announcing like the Hawaii record breakers or yeah. some of those bigger Pre- meetings back by in the Budweiser. day. Literally on Saturday mornings, bro, on Saturday T V there. Yep. How does it get back to there? I don't know. I thought Raw Unity was gonna be able to do it for a while. That's why I went down and ran those meets every year. The uh a lot of those meets got on Fox Sports South. Mm-hmm. Um and they were on TV, and and I and they they recorded it just, you know, perfect with an entertainment value, and that fell apart too, though. Mm-hmm. Everything, you know, it hasn't no haven't got the teeth yet to let it to keep it going. Yeah, it, ultimately, I think you know because we, we ask this question a lot to people. It's like, what is it going to take? And and it always comes back to it's it's money and investment, and it's it's the commitment from both the the powerlifting community to those areas that it's being invested in and those that are actually doing the investing. You see a lot of, well, we'll try this, we'll check it out. And the reality is this, is that because we either look at, you know, a raw meat or multiply or whatever, because you, know, you got you had the WPO in 2019 on ESPN3, you had Baddest Benchers on ESPN2 this year, you've got mm-hmm. all these great streaming services and they've got all these other raw meats. Like, cool, everybody that's not doing that type of lifting is just pointing fingers and waiting for them to fail versus saying no. A rising tide raises all ships. If we get the investment here, we'll get it everywhere else. Yeah, you'll get it everywhere. Eventually, just expand. They'll exactly. have, you know, different versions, different shows of all the same thing. Yeah. And and case in point of that is like, look at you've got NASCAR, you've got funny car racing, you've got drag racing. All those have significant investment in them. And look at they have competitions of some sort every fucking weekend. Multi billion dollar industry. I'm not saying we're going to get to that point, but like. There is investment. There is opportunity for all different segments of the sport if you kind of are patient and are willing to to allow that investment to come in. I believe I believe we're headed in the right direction. If you look at some of the blowout meets here recently that are just like all raw, mm-hmm. um, 
Those guys attract a lot of attention. The lifts are insane now. Well, look at John Hack at 198. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I mean, 800, him, 600, got, 900. Like, come on, come on, you got dude. fucking Danny Grace's 1075 raw pull. I mean, that hook, yeah. no less. Like, Dan Bell, me? come on, dude. Yeah, 20, mean, was he like 2,600 or tw- something? 2,600. And I mean, but also he's, he's no more Uno. Like, he's just Dan Bell. <laughs> he's fucking incredible, man. Yeah, but uh, the presentation, I think, is there right now. And there's. You just got to wait for the right – somebody's popular enough with the right networking. Uh, you you got to have the connections or they're not going to happen. And, it's never going to happen. And and the willingness to be patient and allow the audience to grow. Like so many of them are just like, oh, yeah, we're going to have a, a huge audience right away. Not necessarily. Yeah, I, I talked this over with Mike uh, Marino at his last meet in Virginia. I don't know if you guys saw it. Oh, yeah. The, it's a, it's not the greatest federation maybe, WRPF. Mm-hmm. uh it's such a young federation started by all Russians, all raw, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, seven, eight years ago. But it, it's climbing fast. It's getting better. Micah is like, you know, my little protege. So if you know him, you're like, oh, I see where he got that shit from. Yeah, uh, we, uh, I, I, my he, he put on an unbelievable meeting. I wouldn't the say presentation beef with Micah, was ridiculous. Only issue I had with that is the uh, subpar on the spotting crew they had at that American Pro. That, right, so yeah. right, not all the ducks are like like you said. Everything's got to be right. Not all the ducks are in a row yet, yeah. though. Yeah, but first yeah. year we'll see what happens next year. I think they'll uh, they'll learn from some of that. So, but it's like a it's like an ESPN type of. Now he had uh, interest there, yeah, and, but he had to meet certain standards, right? They go, okay, ESPN said, okay, yeah, we'll show up. We want to see a hundred thousand people log into your live stream though i think they had eighty thousand. yeah and and a1 uh, digital is a great job close. they're awesome so they like, it's 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 coming along it's still still some ways to go but yeah it, it is definitely coming along you need like an extrovert though you know like micah is with all the flair and the, the ability to be like i can bring it and we're gonna spend a bunch of money and maybe even waste a bunch of money and probably even lose a bunch of money the first couple times out yep. before we get it right. Yep. And then patiently it all it's gonna come back. Absolutely. But it's gonna take a it's gonna take a couple punches to the face and some losses before we get there though. Definitely. Yeah. There's so, a handful of people in America I think who can pull it off. He's one of them for sure. So if you could go back and tell a young putt or, you know, like you've worked with some of these young aspiring lifters, you know, what would you tell a young putt? What would you tell some of these young aspiring lifters about powerlifting and about your experiences? And what what might you have done differently, if anything? Or what might you tell or what do you tell some of these young lifters? Yeah, I get these these lifters in. So I'm really big right now on longevity, right? Mm-hmm. And and everybody wants to get to where they're going super fast. So we have these long training cycles. What what do you train for me? Eight weeks, ten weeks, twelve weeks, sometimes even fourteen weeks. And we start somewhere and each week the younger lifters obviously they want to be like, Let me let me put this weight on, let me do this, let me do this, let me do this. And we get to the meet, they're like, What do you think what do you think my opener's gonna be? What do you think my total's gonna be? And I'm always like, dude, we got a whole fucking career to do this. We don't have to. We don't have to tack all these numbers right now. My brother Mike, 
lifting me back in the nineties, he was a freak, right? Mm-hmm. But he had his he had his foot on the gas so hard by the time thirty, he was already retired. He was a one eighty one er. He had a in the gym he had an eight hundred pound squat and a four ninety bench and a six fifty deadlift. But this crazy fuck would be like, you gotta do two thousand crunches a week and a thousand reverse hypers <laughs> and and he was a He's inhuman, bro. And people just can't do that. He was a freak. There's guys that could do it, but the longevity's not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to you have to train like I'm doing this for a career, and that's what I tell these these young teenage and twenty year old kids. We don't have to bench three fifty right now. You can bench three thirty. Who cares? Let's commit to a, a number, and then next year we'll do it. And the year after that, you'll break it. Next thing you know, you're everywhere where you want to be. But you can't attack all the numbers immediately right now. Let's let's commit to let's commit to being great and then the next meet you just want to be better than you were before. We're not gonna worry about the competition. We're not gonna worry about how many records you can break. You just wanna be better than you were before. The people who chase the records, eventually there's no records to chase, they fizzle out, you're not competing anymore. Mm-hmm. So don't don't be that guy. Don't and, be and the record chaser. Because eventually all the records are broke, bro. You can't fucking keep chasing yeah. forever. You got to do it for fun. If you're not having fun while you're doing it, you're going to fizzle out. I've had fun, and I'm still having fun, and it's 30 years later, and I, I'm thankful to say it. It's like I keep picking up new people and exciting people, and I'm and I love helping people get to like you know where their goals are. But I have a phrase I keep at the gym and I put people back in the cage because they're like, let me do this. I'm like, get the fuck back in the cage. Dude. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> Get back in the cage. That's one of my, that's one of my big gym phrases. Yeah. Get back in the cage. We don't have to, we don't have to, everything not to be done right now. Yeah. And, uh, I'm all about the longevity. So honestly, what kind of training style are you guys following? Are you following a conjugate? Or are you following a linear a combination of some of those concepts. I'm one of those dudes who never says the word conjugate or linear or macro or keto or micro or programming. <laughs> I'm not, I swear to God, people who use those terms around me. I'm like, get the fuck out of my face right now. <laughs> so I, uh, I simplified a little even more than that, Eric. Um, I always, I always start a training cycle 10 to 12 weeks out. It's it's more aggress. Uh, we're gonna start somewhere with this lower weight. Eventually, we're gonna get heavier. And the and my training methods are like let's be strong at every level. So we'll bench with with boards one two three boards. We'll deadlift off of one two three four mats. Uh, I'll change the resistance up on squats uh, with reverse bands and with. One of the main things I picked up from Louis, and I think was probably one of his greatest. And Louis Simmons was was crazy as fuck. Yes. <laughs> and, and and he experimented with all his dogs with like some of the craziest methods. But one thing he definitely nailed right was you train three four weeks and you take off a week. You take a deload week. You can't just keep your foot on the gas for ten weeks straight. You will pitter out. You will you'll succumb to an injury. Your central nervous system will go up and come back down. You you'll find yourself staling, uh, stalling out. I'm all about three or four weeks of training. I personally go three weeks 
and then a deload, three, four weeks, then a deload, three weeks, and a deload. People don't take enough rest. They don't put enough emphasis on that rest period, which is just as important as the heavy days, just as important. Um, Jay Rosalioni taught me like a, a, a deadlift mat routine. I should, I literally should write it up in a poster and sell the poster. Um, it's something people just don't, uh, don't do with deadlifts is, is to train it. Cause some people just like train off, off of blocks or off of uh, power racks, but we, we get those horse mats and I'll cut them into two by fours, right? Two foot by four foot mm-hmm. and put them underneath the weights and we'll go off the floor the next week off a of one mat, next week off a of two mat, next week off a of three mat, next week off a of four mat, and just keep varying the height of it up and down until you're strong at every level. And I and I emulate that on the bench as well. Got to be strong at every level. It's hard to it's hard to train it on the squat uh, with that same type of method, but um, I don't know. I'm 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 big on training at every level. Mm-hmm. In the starting a, a training cycle, twelve maybe twelve weeks out, and uh, being somewhere five rep range. A couple weeks after that, you'll be at the three rep range, and then singles, and then it's more or less just progressive resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Nobody's ever gotten weaker around me, so. <laughs> I mean that that's usually a telltale sign. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people are always into. What's the next gimmick? Uh, what yep. do you think of this routine? Oh, they're waiting on it. And I, I always tell people, every one of these programs you see, every one of these routines, they all work. You just got to apply yourself. They, I, every one of them work. The, be, the best program is the one you fucking stick to. There's the one you just stick to it. Yep, 100%. So, you can do 5-3-1. You could do 3 by 8 You can do 5 by 3s You can pick somebody's name and put it behind it mm-hmm. and call it the Q method and call it Ed Cohn's deadlift routine and call it uh, somebody's bench routine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. You stick with it. You're going to, I, they all work to me. Honestly, I can make them all work. Yeah. I agreed. If you're, if you're following the methods, cause all of them are based on the very, on simply very similar principles, it's going to create progress when you're jumping around. That's when you're going to see, cause you're just, your body's not accommodating at all. Bane, I can make them all work. I'm not <laughs> even lying. I'm, I'm all saying, all. I'm saying the average person, like pe- people that typically program <laughs> jump, and you, and you know these people, you know they're the ones that don't see the progress because they expect to see this incredible gain in two weeks. And it's like this is not going to fucking happen. It's not how it works. No, it's not how it works. Yeah. Longevity, bro. For sure. If you're not in it for the career, you're not gonna you're just gonna, you're not gonna make it. I promise you. So, you know, but we we talked to a lot of people, and we talked to folks from all across the spectrum of of powerlifting, and and ultimately what it comes back to those that are in for a long time, uh, at some level. And at some point, like there, there's a full backseat. Like you still train, you're still around it, but like you're not at the at, at your peak, right? And so when you think about that, you think about that time you start, the time when when powerlift is done, it creates this legacy. When it's all said and done, when you look back and you think of the legacy of Putt Houston, what do you want that to be? What do you want people to say? When I'm when I'm dead and I'm gone, mm-hmm. people are going to appreciate a little known fact that people don't know i train all these people for free mm-hmm. i never charge a dime for i've coached over 50 national world champions and handled them on game day on meet day which is like my forte mm-hmm. 
all all free. I've never once put the pressure on somebody to pay for the putt knowledge ever. And so when I'm there at the, and I'm and I commit, bro. I'm not talking about my crew when my kids were little and I stayed home dad and then my wife would come home and I'd say, "All right, I'm going to the gym." We'd be at the gym till 10 o'clock, and I'm committed to my crew. Mm-hmm. I, if I'm sick, I showed up because so, you still need a spotter. Mm-hmm. You still need somebody to load. My kids would call 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. Dad, when are you coming home? We still got to blow out my birthday candles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'd be like, I'll be home soon, buddy. I just got to do this one thing. You know, AJ's got one more set left, and then I'll be up. But it's that type of commitment that people I think really are going to remember and respect me by. And I did it all because I loved it from the passion for the heart Mm -hmm. for free. And, um, I hope one day that people will be like, you know, he was one of the greatest coaches and motivators I ever had. And I didn't fucking pay a dime for it. He just did it because he loved it. Yeah. And that, and that's going to be on my epitaph, bro. I love that shit. That's beautiful, man. Now, I've heard stories about you. Stone tells them like they are like legend. We got a couple follow-up questions here. I'm going to start with this one because I'm going to let Stone take the last one. How did you get a commercial-grade fridge into your fucking basement? (laughs) Bro. And where the fuck did you find a dining room table? Everything in my basement is commercial, first of all. Everything is big. If you you look at my stools upstairs, they're like the ones from – Rainforest Cafe, right? They're huge. Okay. There's eleven frit bang. There's eleven refrigerators in my house. Stop. <laughs> Hold on. Eleven. I'm not even joking. Eleven. So I put one just recently. I put another one in the foyer as like a little grab and go, so you can grab drinks on your way out the door. <laughs> now, are these designated for certain types of drinks? Like, are some like for refreshments? Some are booze. Some are energy. No, like, I don't give a fuck. We just, just load whatever. them all full of anything. There's a so, like, you watch Hell's Kitchen, you see those six-foot-wide yeah. stainless steel true yeah. refrigerators? Yeah. So, I got one of those. I have two full kitchens in my house, right? One upstairs, one downstairs. The one downstairs has the six-foot stainless steel fridge. And then I liked it so much, I bought the matching stainless steel six-foot freezer, put that in a storage room. I got some of those uh, true fridges that you see at the gas station mm-hmm. where Slide your Gatorade out, and the next one comes right back at you. I got one of those down here. There's a fridge in the garage. There's a couple fridges on the main floor. Every kid has a fridge in his bedroom. I have a fridge in my bedroom. It, it, it can't be cold <laughs> enough around here, dog. But <laughs> well, I'm just I'm hearing all this, and and like because I know the cost of these things. Like you know, I got four kids. I got a fucking house. And I'm like so. What, we, what Putt doesn't touch on is that he's an international man of mystery and a gigolo, and that's how he put, funds all this shit. Uh, that's how I, somebody's got to do it. I get it, man. Uh, Only fans. And I, don't, so I don't mind doing it. <laughs> that's crazy. Putt, where man. did you find a dining room table that seats 30 people? You know I'm from a big family, bro, so people I just, think, I just now, made it happen. Okay, my, now people think I'm exaggerating. My table does sit, seat a lot. I can't lie. My island is ten foot by five foot. My table's probably bigger. I put I bought like park benches to put around it. 
The, the, One of my boys in the basement now around in my poker room. It's now a, like a billiard room instead because I, I let off of the poker. Mm-hmm. But one of the restaurants around here, El Tio Pepe, I grew up with the guy, Scott Zimmerman. He uh, he married a Mexican gal, and they have this amazing local restaurant. But who's the first person you think he called? He said, we're renovating. Do you want all these booths? <laughs> I said, Let's go. <laughs> so now my so now this whole room is wrapped in these fucking big leather. Oh my god! <laughs> big leather booths. People come down and go, "What the fuck? Who does this?" I mean, you, you have to have tortillas and salsa like at, at all times if you're gonna have that. Oh yeah, I, dude, that's my thing. Fuck I'm yeah. a good cook too. I make my own salsa chips. I fuck with that. People think I've exaggerated by telling some of these stories, Putt, about your house, but I, I don't think I'm I, – no, I didn't know you had 11 fridges. That's, that's, yeah, that's new. That's, that's new. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got it. That's not even a lie. Like, like I, I'm saying, like, I, I have, like, work co- – uh, like, connections that live in, in St. Louis area, so I have reasons to go down there, but I think, uh, I think next time I'm in St. Louis, there's a, a visit to the Putt uh, compound. Yeah, the putt compound is uh, – it's interesting when you come by for the first time. People are just like walking around going, what the fuck does this dude do? Like, why is, this, why is everything big? <laughs> that's what she said. Uh, <laughs> the, yeah, the uh, – you know those love sacks you buy? They're like bean bags, but they're filled yeah, with like shredded yeah. foam. Yep. Oh, I got several of those here, there, and everywhere. That's what the kids like to come and jump on. Wrong my, with that, my table's got – uh, six park like park benches around it Jesus. to sit. There's no chairs. They're like they're long benches. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. just that's fucking. I'll have to send you guys pics so you can super appreciate it. Please but. and thank you. Uh, that's that's just what it is. Putt, did you tase a kid recently at a meet? Because <laughs> <laughs> I t- I totally tased him and deserved it. <laughs> let, let me back up. <laughs> Yes. Let's back up. Context. Please, please, <laughs> please back up. Yes. So, I'm, everybody's got to get somewhere, bro, right? Remember back in the day, right? Remember Dyke, Dyke Naughton? Yes, I've told that story so much. Lemon juice and batteries. Lemon juice and, and sucks on the 9-volt batteries. I, and you see, I tell and that you story and people think I'm joking. His fucking head. Well, we, well, we got uh, some of the lifters now that like suck on lemons like while they're on the platform. Yeah fucking crazy okay so that's that's baby talk <laughs> to nowadays you guys know you guys know steve welch he makes a skull smash yeah yeah he, all right so he's a st louis guy he he'll he'll make me like the world's most powerful blends somewhere about i don't know 10 or 12 years ago i stopped sniffing it and just started dumping it in my eyes instead so i'll sniff sniff and you get that real, like, oh, my God, my brain's about to explode. And then I tip my glasses up because I wear prescription glasses. Mm-hmm. I'll tip my glasses up, and you'll hear people in the room go, uh-oh. And then I'll tip back, and I'll just put it right to my eyes and then dump it on the eyelids and the eyelashes and let and, and let the crust hit your like your cornea and really burn because it really gets you in the mood, bro. It's like a mood getter. You got to be able to – somewhere in powerlifting, before you hit the platform – you can't waste a bunch of energy screaming and yelling and being a fucking idiot. You got to be able to flip the switch. Sometimes flipping the switch means tasing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Lucas Pagano, one of my newest uh, protégés, 
he's the guy who shows up with me with the he's got the pit vipers he's got the world's greatest mullet he was telling me he bought a taser for his girlfriend i said yeah bring that motherfucker in bro i want to ta- i want to be tased for I, for I lift he goes no come on dude no i go no for, for, for real bro i'm gonna make you tase me so I don't, I don't know if you guys ever had a taser before in the gym it's loud as fuck not, I've, not yet not so yet. I, I have friends that are cops and when they first got to the academy they gave them their taser and so of course we got drunk one night we're fucking tasing each other so yes i've been tased before it's a great feeling I made him. I made him tase me over and over again in training. He was too scared to take it, and so we're in the gym. I tase, tase. Pretty soon, I'm like, "Go buy another taser. I'm gonna be tased from both sides while I dump the nose torque and the skull smash in my eyes. I want you guys to hit me on each shoulder." But somebody hasn't been. Somebody hasn't brought the second taser yet. But it's got to that level. We went to nationals last year, and Lucas said, "Okay." Only for my deadlifts, I want you to tase me. And I'm like, fuck, yes. Here we go. <laughs> I am all about that shit. Oh I always God. wear like a jumpsuit or track suit out when I go out. Under Armour, of course. And it's, yeah, Under Armour, always. And when it's stitched down the leg, it says stir up the demons. At one point in your meet, usually in the deadlifts, I tell people it is time to fucking stir up the demons. Because the, the deadlift, there's no eccentric part of the movement, right? You don't get the... <laughs> lower it down like you do with the bench and squat. You got to get fucking medieval right off the floor. And sometimes that means you can't flip the switch. Let me tase you. <laughs> Let's do this shit. <laughs> Let me tase you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I'm to the point now. I love being tased. I love it. I'm like, people are like, you won't be able to handle this taste. I'm like, what? Bring that motherfucker in. I'll take that oh, taste right now. It's, it, it's when you combine Putt and Ed Cohen, tase the taint. Yeah, dude, just tase me. I'll take it. I, I promise you I can take your taser. My central nervous system is so fucked up right now. That's... I'll take it. I love it. So that video, I tased Lucas before all of his deadlifts. Um, he took it. I think the one – actually, Mike Marino texted me today and said, bro, your taser video is still like going viral. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, we had no less than five people send that to us and say, is this putt? And I'm like – Yep. <laughs> yep, that's putt. Yeah, that's the dude right there. That's... I was giving it. I prefer to take the tase, honestly. But on that occasion, I was giving it. And it's just as fun to give. I'm not going to lie. I love tasing people. If I had a nickel. It's pretty fun. <laughs> you guys ever try it, like in the meet or for a competition or for a Nah, trip? I haven't tried that yet. No, I, I don't think I haven't been tased since fuck. I was 22, a, 23. It's just a little zap. It's not as bad. Yeah, it's, it's not, not crazy. It's not like, you got a muscle master, we'll be fine. But, like, I'll be honest. Like, I don't even sniff ammonia anymore. Like, I don't even bother. Yeah, I had a pretty heavy workout a week this week, and sometimes you're like, no, I don't, I don't even need it. No. I'm already there. My mind is, like, at 50, I know how to flip the switch, bro. I'm already there. But uh, I don't even know if it's, it's flipping still, the switch. It's still super it's fun. Just, it's like clearing, like clearing the mechanism. That's what I, I, I don't know if you ever met Steve Brock. I know he's he's another kind of old school guy that uh, was around uh-uh. WPC. You know, took took some time off with. So Steve, Steve's one of the most intense motherfuckers you ever met. And and he explained it once. It's like you, at some point you have to be able to just to your point flip the switch, but just like get under there and just fucking execute. Like you just clear the mechanism, you clear your fucking mind, and you just execute. Yeah, and, you see a lot of young kids, and they wanna they wanna scream and holler, and I'm like, bro, you're wasting all your energy. These are the same you're guys wasting, that you know, you're three it. strokes in, and they wonder, oh, has it ever happened? You're so hot. 
Yeah. Honestly, on meat day, it's a long day. You're talking it is, man. Seven, seven or eight hours. You can't be screaming before every every lift. By the time you get your deadlift, you'll be wore the fuck out, bro. Or or vice versa. If you have some of these meats that move really fast and they got a small roster, I mean, you're talking three and a half, four hours from fucking warm up to awards. Like that's mm-hmm. the same thing. You got to fucking conserve energy there too. Yeah, you got you have to be the you have to you know master your energy levels, and you got to know eventually one point in your career, you got to be able to flip the switch. How does how do I get medieval? What triggers me? I mean, goosebumps on the back of the neck trigger, right? Like, taste the what, tea, what's going to get you there? Because sometimes in meets, you like on meet day for me, I'm like calm and collected mm-hmm. with like an internal burning anger, but it's not forward. You can't see it. Mm-hmm. It's in there. And then, at, and then right in a multiply level, so you're like, okay, somebody's going to wrap your knees, and you're starting to rev the engine. And you're, and you know, maybe I'll change my breathing up to a little bit heavier, and then straps up, and then by the time you get to the chalk bowl, you better be ready to soccer kick a baby in the face. Like some get in a mode where you hit the platform and you got to drop that mushroom cloud, boom! But but you got to be able to flip it right back off because otherwise you're gonna weigh yourself out. Get back down, calm or, down. Or it'll be like and, Hoff, and you'll just fucking launch Louis six feet in the air. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, right. Dave Hoff, right? He runs off the platform and shoulders. Fucking, I, I've been like, I've backspotted Hoff, fuck, four or five times now with the WPO. I have never been hit with a Hoff, uh, with a Hoff toss. With a, with a Hoff check? Yeah, I've he not been hit He likes to check when he comes off that platform. Yeah, like, but it's, he, it's been close. He's in mode, though. You can't blame him. He's in no, mode, bro. Get the fuck out of, he is don't jump fight, in front of the train. Fight or flight, man. It's it's funny. Yeah, you and don't judge people by the way you meet them on game day, because everybody's <laughs> hopped up on stimulants and whatever fucking drugs they're on, and you're trying to be hyped and you're trying to be angry and trying to be focused. Don't judge a dude if he's a dick or an asshole or she's a bitch or whatever. Go to the after party, <laughs> and, then, and then make your assessment. That's why I said everybody. Eric's an asshole, but he runs a good meet. Yeah, <laughs> real talk. Well, put that this has been everything I think we we had expected. Everything I hoped it would be. Everything we hoped it would be. Um, yeah, I appreciate the invite. By the way, man, I was oh. I was excited when you told me to come on. I was like, "Fuck yeah, let's get to it." It sounds like there's no place to find you on social media or online. So, if people... there's no place, bro, I'm hidden. <laughs> so there's nothing to plug off the grid, other than if they want to head down to power. Do you still train out of Power Body USA? I still train out of Power Body USA. It's in O'Fallon, Missouri, 403 Sandrin. Okay. People come in every time and say, "I just want to. I just want to train with the putt." I'm there four days a week. I, I'm willing to train with anybody. Okay. Putt. We're gonna. Hey, you know we didn't touch we're gonna, on. We're gonna. Train I want to hear your guys is what is like your the greatest powerlifting feat that you either witnessed. Or you just think it may be like one of the greatest things you've ever seen in powerlifting. You guys have a you guys have a single event. I have one. You guys have a single event that uh, like touched you so much. You're like, this may be one of the greatest powerlifting things I've ever witnessed. For me, when I saw Hoff, you know, break his uh, 3100. Was it 3100? 3103. Yeah. 3103 yeah. total at uh, 2019 WPO Superfinals, which was an unbelievable event. We helped put it on at the. Uh, the former pheasant run resort in St. Charles. And 
ESPN was there uh, putting on ESPN three and Hoff just, I mean, he turned it on that day. He I mean, just decimated everybody. He was under the lights and he just, yeah, he, it was a super fast meet. It was first squat to end of deadlift in five hours with 30 big, big multiply lifters. Yeah. Um, and you know, guys were saying they were practically putting their bench here on as they were taking their briefs off to warm up for bench. That's how quick it was running for multiply. Um, so yeah. yeah, for me, 3,100 though, uh, unbelievable, like a mind boggling total. Yeah. For me that watching him do that was, was the most impressive I've seen him. What in about person. you, Bane? Ooh, it, that's tough. I've, I've had the best seat in the house for some of like the biggest lists of all time. Uh, and so that's, that's like a hard one for me that, so there's a couple that come to mind. Uh, one that a lot of people don't, they don't know her. Her name is Miranda Shepard. Miranda uh, was hurt in a car accident where she lost her leg uh, above the knee, like mid-thigh, and she came to one of our meets. She squats one-legged, benches with her prosthetic on, and then tilts and locks her prosthetic back and deadlifts with one leg. And she took this pull. I want to say it was like a 300-pound pull. It might even be that. It might even be like 250 uh, because she's not a, a particularly large person. And I know Eric remembers this. This is like the longest deadlift I've ever watched. It easily almost 30 seconds from the floor to the lockout. And this woman just would not fucking quit. And, I mean, everything she had, once she got that down command, that went down. She was out. She had nothing left. She gave everything. It gets you emotional, though, oh, right, to see it. it's beautiful, man. Like, because, it, it, sure, like, there's big numbers. Like, I've seen, you know, I, I was there when Hoff did his 3,100. I was on the platform. I was there, you know, the last few times he's won the WPO. I was there when Leah Reichman was first woman to squat 900. Like, I've seen a lot of this shit, and it's incredible. That's one of those things, like, I mean, that is just, it's heart. It's the human spirit. It, it, it is. It's emotional. It's fucking cool. Uh, yeah. That's and, the best and way then, to put it, too. It comes down to the heart and the human spirit. And then selfishly, like, watching my daughter win her first national title, like, that's by far the fucking coolest thing ever for me. Like, coaching her, being able to, to compete with her at nationals and at worlds together, and, and watching her do that, like, that's just selfishly, like, one of the coolest things ever. I love it. How about you, Putt? Well, for for me, one of the greatest powerlifting accomplishments that I, I was a part of and got to watch, it was happened in 2011. There was a master lifter. His name's Greg Crun. He was a he's a bench only guy, and I knew what he came to do that day because I was there coaching, helping people. He's sixty years old, single ply, drug free, and he benched six hundred pounds at sixty years old. And when he was done, so so first of all, we're warming up. He's in like third flight. He starts warming up with flight A with the bands and the shoulder and the internal external rotator cuff, you know, rotations. And then he's progressing to up the bar and then the plate and then, you know, 25 on each side. He's not one of those guys that are just going to go one play, two play, three play, four play, put me on the platform. Mm-hmm. Three hours of warming up his old 60, you know, bones. And uh, me uh, Steve Welch took the head. I think Tim Towers was on the other side. We gave him a three-man liftoff, and this motherfucker destroyed a 600-pound bench at 60 years old, wow. drug-free. And I was like, I don't know. That might, that's like one of the greatest powerlifting feats I've ever witnessed in my entire life, dude. That's wild. And I, I still respect, you know, obviously Dave Hoff's 3,100 and these people with their – crazy a thousand pound deadlifts and 1100 pound deadlifts mm-hmm. and 1300 pound squats 
But for me, I know as simple as it was, I was like, man, I don't know if that'll ever be broken. I don't know. It's not, uh, I know I know records are meant to be broken, but sixty years old is a hard to. So, some are harder to break than others. Six hundred. That's like fuck. Debbie Damaga. I mean, six, sixty years old and squatting six hundred pounds. I mean, it's um, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable for anybody, let alone a woman. I mean, obviously she's an exceptional human being, but like, to your point, it's one of the things like. I don't know if somebody is going to be in this long enough, doing it long enough, has the requisite strength, and stays as injury-free as possible. And then also, like, in some cases, just list that long. Yeah. Maybe I, mean, I was part of it, so that maybe influenced me a little more, but I was so impressed by it. cool, man. And in my mind, I don't think it'll ever be broken. I want to. I hope in my lifetime it is so I could see it and be like, holy shit. Uh you, you, shit, when I was lifting in the 90s, the you know, Ed Cohn had the highest 2463. Mm-hmm. You would have never imagined we'd be in 3,000s, bro. No. When people squatting 1,000 pounds raw, benching 800 pounds raw, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, you, I, I love where it's going. I, I think in our lifetime, we will see somebody pull four digits in all three lifts in the same meet. Hmm. I want to see it. I, I think we'll see it in our lifetime. Well, I want to see it. Put anything else to add? I'm sure you always have a, bu- a bunch to add. In fact, I'll say this now, Putt. If you're if you're game, in a future uh, future month, we'll do an Ask Putt Anything episode. Oh fuck yes! Where we'll get questions from the people, and we'll just we'll just we'll just fire them in. Putt oh, the Putt Part Two. I want to see it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But anything else to putt, add? Putt Putt, putt Returns. Yeah, the Putt Putt, putt Returns. <laughs> I, no, I appreciate your time, dude. I want to thank you guys for the invitation. Well, thank Love, you for your time. You know, I don't have social media, so I don't get to like just throw it out there. People don't. Re- the one thing about not having social media is that when I see people in person, I'm literally genuinely excited to see them and converse mm-hmm. with people. And sure. maybe that's what adds to the mystique of the putt, right? Because I'm so outrageous in person. I don't, I don't have time to see all your everything you've done on Instagram and and TikTok and Facebook and whatever. <laughs> so in person, I'm even more excited to well, see you. As, I, as long as you subscribe to my OnlyFans, then I'm fine, bud, So I love it. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, dude, but thank you so much. Uh, definitely, like I said, I'm, I'm scheduled to down to St. Louis. We're going to connect and, and, and tear it up. And uh, Well, you got my number. Let's do it. Absolutely, I'll, man. I'll, Come on down. I'll show you a good time. Absolutely. I'll, and you I'll get, get your ready. ass up here, you put too, the man. the feelers out there for putt part two. That's what I'm saying. You but got we got to get your I'm ass it. up here, too. Yes. Yes. Let's uh. I'll, seriously, you're doing a masters only in February. I want to be part of it. All right. We'll we'll pass along. Oh the, yeah. The invite is uh, is wanted uh, to Jackie Stone. Absolutely. Jackie, I love you, Jackie. Just please <laughs> put me on the list. But thank you so much, man. It was awesome talking to you, and uh, we will definitely have you back on for uh, for putt part two. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Test, test, test. Balls, balls. Test affects your balls.